Well, as I am sure you have noticed, if you are in any way involved in the reality of the uh, social media space, uh, that they have somehow figured out how to bring into collision uh, the social media world and all the viral videos that are out there. So now, if you are a Facebooker or one of the other sites, uh, you have the incredible privilege of weeding through thousands of irrelevant videos to try to find out what your friends are actually up to. Because you used to just follow their status, now you're following hundreds of viral videos. And it's super frustrating, honestly, because you like you want to click on them, right? And then all your time is wasted, because uh, after every video you just go, why? Why did I click on it? And then every now and then, you click on a video, and you're so glad you did, because it was really worth watching. You know which videos tend to be worth watching? The ones where somebody is doing something for somebody else that's so out of the box, so extraordinary, so unexpected, that it then produces great emotion in the person that's the recipient of their gift. So I recently watched a little video where a bunch of police officers pulled people over and then gave them money. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> no, why? You look like you need $100. What? Cry. So those are neat, right? Those are neat. But I, I, I did see a video that took that and blew that out of the water. There was a video fairly recently that was kind of viral on... Um, Facebook, it was about a, a woman, a single mom um, uh, with some girls, and she'd been spending her whole life trying to save up to buy a house, but, but couldn't do it. And I don't remember the whole story. It had been submitted to some one of, those, one of those groups of people that do crazy cool stuff, and they'd bought her a house. And so the whole video was like her coming to the house that's now her house, but she doesn't know it is. And then at the end of the video, she finds out it's her house. It's been paid for. It's done. She owns a house. What would that be like to find yourself in that moment where you are the recipient of a gift so unthinkable, so far outside of your reach, and you think to yourself, I have no business being here. I have no business being a recipient of this gift. When we find ourselves in those places, us human beings, that's when the deepest parts of us are stirred. That's when we are at, uh, at the place of greatest awe in the reality of the life we live. And this is what I am absolutely certain must have been the experience for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds in particular on that very first night of Christmas as they gathered together in a little cave right inside of the little town of Bethlehem and sat around and stared at a manger filled with an ordinary looking baby boy except that there was nothing ordinary about this ordinary looking baby boy. How did they know? Because they had been told some things. See, the angels had bothered to mention some very particular clues to them about this particular child. When Gabriel showed up and talked to Mary, he specifically said to her, the child being conceived in your womb is going to reign on the throne of David forever. So, so there was this clue given that this child is going to be one that reigns on the throne of David. Woo! Right? So that, that clue's given to Mary. Uh, the shepherds, on the night that they were told of the birth, uh, this, the angel bothered to say to them, tonight in the city of David is born to you the King, the Messiah, who will come. See, the reason the angels were so specific with this whole idea of David is because uh, in the Old Testament, a story had been unfolding where people that had heard from God, prophets, had declared some truths about something that God was doing and in the process of doing. It was said that God was going to send to his people 
a rescuer at some point, a Messiah, someone who would come and who would stand above all of the rest and would rescue his people from the oppression and tyranny under which they live, from the bondage in which they find themselves. And it, ha- it was said that this Messiah, among other things, would be born in the city of David. He would be of the line of David. In other words, his ancestry would be David. And he would reign on the throne of David forever and ever. So there would be no end to his throne, which would be the throne of David. Now, interestingly enough, these ties were deeply important because in the story of the Jewish people, who were the people of God at that time, uh, really marked as the people of God, uh, there was the story of their great rescue in the Exodus experience with Moses, a story that they went to and said, that is a a story we hold on to because that's where God demonstrated that he's going to rescue us. And then the story of David, who was the king God chose for them after they had chosen their own King Saul and had gone very badly for them. And then in choosing David, David reigned as a great king. And during his reign, the reign of his throne, there was great prosperity and peace and freedom among the people of God. And so what God said is that I'm, I'm promising you someday a Messiah who will come, who will set you free like in the days of Moses, uh, but will reign in that freedom and in that peace like the throne of David, and it will be forever. So when this Messiah comes, you have to understand it's not going to be momentary. For a season in your life, you're going to reign free, and then after that, it might be back again once he dies. This was the sense that he was going to establish, so in, in our view, what might be a dynasty of peace for a long, long time. So what a great promise. What a great anticipated reality, except that uh, since the last prophet had spoken Malachi in the Old Testament, there had been 400 years of absolute silence from God as though he had forgotten his promises. And so really, uh, in this time, though I think many were hoping still, it had been a long, long time, generations. And so when Mary finds out that the child that she's going to birth is the one who will reign on the throne of David, she knows what that means. She knows that the one coming is going to set God's people free from the tyranny and oppression of those who are over them and reign forever so that they will never be bound again. So what would you anticipate that means? They've been under uh, uh, Babylon, under Persia, under Greece, and now under Rome, Rome being the most powerful of all those empires. And so when this Messiah grows up, he's going to set them free from Rome, and never again will the people of God be under the occupation of another nation. That's pretty exciting. The shepherds come to visit that same space, and they sit there, and they can't believe they're sitting in the room with the one who is going to set them free once and for all from the occupation under which they've lived for so many generations, and especially now. And that's worthy of being excited for. Because you see, they didn't know how it was going to play out. They didn't have the end of the story yet. But like our story on Christmas Eve, they sat there with the Messiah as a baby going, it might take a few years, but when this kid grows up, we're free. When this kid grows up, we're free. You know, I can imagine that those viewing this story from eternity, perhaps the angels that were present in that moment, must have wished they could just pop in to the manger scene and go, Mary, come here. Shepherds, gather up. What you guys think is gonna happen 
what you're anticipating is the grand gift of God, that this one is going to save you from Rome and set you free in a dynasty of peace for generations to come, that's nothing. That's not it. That's not the gift. That's not it. I mean, you're all excited about that, but that's so small. What he's actually doing is much bigger than that. Don't look back to the throne of David. Don't look back to the Exodus. That's like the middle of the story. Jesus is here to start changing everything from the beginning of the story. You gotta look further back, look harder. Start in Genesis. Genesis is what he's coming for. See, because in Genesis is where our human story begins. Not the Jewish story, the human story. And Jesus wasn't only coming to set the Jewish people free from the tyranny of Rome, he was coming to set the human people free from the tyranny of death. And that's a whole different story, right? So, but Mary couldn't have known that. Joseph couldn't have. The shepherds couldn't have known that. They just knew what they had in that moment, and that was big. And, and now you start realizing, oh, it's bigger than that. You see, the gift that is in that manger is far, far bigger than that. And we here, sitting in this space, we have this crazy cool luxury that Mary and Joseph didn't have, that the shepherds didn't have. We're not sitting at a manger with a baby, with no story yet. We are sitting on the other side of the story. We have the full scope of history behind us. We don't only have the Old Testament prophecies that talk of one who would come, who would be born of the line of David, born in the city of David, to reign on the throne of David forever. We don't only have the prophecies that spoke of the great rescue plan. We don't only have the birth and the angels who told Mary. We also have the life of Jesus now. We have the entire life where he demonstrated these realities in the way he lived and what he taught. We have the guys that followed him and their life stories and the insane things that happened to them and how small their stories were and how little they thought their stories were gonna get bigger and how much bigger God made them. Yes, they went through very, very difficult times, but they walked on water and they saw healing come through their hands and they saw worlds change as they moved. Man, and Jesus, oh yeah, we have the part two where Jesus didn't end up taking the throne in Jerusalem, did he? Didn't end up having John sitting on one side and Pete on the other. <laughs> Look at him, other 12 in little chairs, like they all thought was gonna happen. No, 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 no. We have Jesus suddenly finding himself dying on a cross and we're all wondering, what happened to the story? What happened to the story? But we also have what comes three days later, the resurrection and suddenly going, oh my, oh my gosh, I thought this was the story, then I thought this was the story, but now I think I have no idea what the story is yet. We don't only have the resurrection of Jesus, but we then have the coming of the Holy Spirit into the people of God. Then we have the rescue of God moving from the Jewish people into the Gentile world, an unthinkable reality for the Jewish people. They thought God was gonna set them free from the horrid Gentiles and keep them away. But in fact, what God was doing is was reconciling them to the Gentiles and grafting them into one another so that they would become the people of God, all of them because his story was about what started in Genesis. And what did start in Genesis? What is this all about? Remember Genesis? We were created by God for an extraordinary reality, to live in a freedom beyond our wildest imagination, absolutely free to enjoy relationship with God unhindered by anything. 
just free to enjoy what absolute love is, never needing or wanting for anything, living in absolute contentment, never feeling the pangs of desire beyond the things that we already have. We were living in that freedom of relationship, not only to be loved, but also to love back. God created us with the ability to be able to express and display and demonstrate God's character to one another and to the world. God created us in an in a order of creation that would shout his invisible qualities to us while we shouted his character back to creation. And as we gathered together as a human race, we would just shout in our actions and our words to one another, this is love, this is freedom, this is life, this is light. And our enemy came to us, God's enemy came to us in that space and said, this is not a big cool story, there's a better one. If you knew what he knew, you'd know he's trying to hold you back. So don't trust him, trust you. And you go eat the fruit and then you will have your own story. You will be your own God. You will know what he knows and you will be able to write your own destiny. Ooh, we thought that was so cool. So we ate of the fruit and we didn't find divinity or life or greater freedom. We found death. A death came into us. We were separated from the extraordinary freedom, light, and life we had in God. And suddenly, we found ourselves fending. You know that word? Fending. Just trying to survive. And so Solomon writes later on. He says, we became creatures that chase after the wind, right? Just trying to collect enough stuff to make ourselves feel good or try to control enough people to make sure that we can have the circumstances and resources around us under control so that they can't throw us for a loop. So our whole life was trying to become powerful enough and big enough so that we wouldn't have to be afraid anymore or to have enough meeting our needs so we wouldn't have to be lonely anymore. And when Jesus showed up in that manger, what Mary and Joseph and the shepherds thought was to set a people group free from the other people groups, Jesus knew was to set our souls free from death and hell. And that's huge. And so we have the story unfolding of that actually happening. The early church emerges and we see the gospel, the story of Jesus across cultural boundaries, language boundaries, geographical boundaries, generational boundaries, and continue to move into dark and difficult places and bring redemption and life. And we watch the beautiful story of God begin to shout to humanity, it's okay, I've come for you. It's okay, don't be afraid anymore. It's okay, you don't have to chase after your story anymore as though somehow that will make you okay. I've got a story for you and if you just trust me with your story, I will make it bigger than you ever imagined. And suddenly we began to discover the freedom of letting go and the freedom of laying out our weaknesses and the freedom of saying, here I am. God, write the story for me. We have this beautiful vision of the whole story of that little birth moment and all the implications of it. You see, the Old Testament prepared us for it. The New Testament wrote about the implications. You remember Peter, where he writes in 1 Peter chapter one, and he says, uh, concerning this salvation, 
this rescue that we now know, that we didn't know. You see, all the prophets, when they prophesied about it, uh, they they were wondering, what's it going to be? When's it going to be? How's it going to emerge? What's it going to do? But they realized God wasn't telling them the little details for their sake. He was telling them for our sake so that when we heard the message and saw the full story, we would know it to be true. And now, then he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, and now we have heard it. We have seen it. We have realized its fullness. Jesus didn't come exclusively to set a people free from other people. He came to set people free from the death that haunted them for so long. And he said, even angels long to look into this story. It's that big. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead. We were chasing after our own passions and we were children of wrath, but because of God's great love for us, he gifted us this wondrous new life that we can live in. See, now we get to look back on that. We get to have all that history. So watch this. Mary and Joseph walked into Christmas. The shepherds walked into Christmas with this much information right here. And it was awe-inspiring. The rescuer had come and he was gonna set them free. But they had no idea what we know. When we walk into Christmas, we don't walk in with that limited view. We walk in with an expansive view of what the gospel really is, the rescue of God really is, what the gift of God really was. We know what Jesus really came to do, and we know who he really was, and we know what he really affected, and we know why we are recipients of that. Well, we don't know why, we just know we are, and we know how awesome it is. But you know what's so incredible about this particular story, this particular gift, this particular reality? Is this, that this gift, we are told in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, that we now see as those looking dimly into a mirror, but one day we will see face to face. We now only know in small part, while one day we will know fully. Do you know what that means? Wait for it. Here's what it means. Everything we know that Mary and Joseph did not know, everything we know that the shepherds did not know, everything we know that the disciples did not know until after the resurrection, everything we know after 2,000 years of history of watching the life and love and glory and freedom and awesome reality of the gospel move through generations, if we know all of that, we still have yet to discover the fullness of this story. You and I don't even yet know how awesome this gets. You don't even yet know. Here you are, here I am, knowing all that we know and we do not yet know how awesome this gets. Your life right now may not go the way you expect. It may not turn out the way you thought. Circumstances may not be what you want. I'm sure Mary didn't anticipate Jesus dying on a cross, but she also didn't anticipate him coming back from the dead, changing the entire eternity. And so here we sit and we have every reason to walk into Christmas and stare into this reality and just go, why am I here? How did I get to be part of this story? Why did he invite me in? Like that that single mom standing in a house and going, how did I get this? It's not fair, it shouldn't happen, I don't deserve it. Who am I? There are thousands of other moms that should have this. And you go, no, but, but it's yours. We found you and we gave it to you. And we walk into Christmas staring into the face of Christ and going, you found me. You rescued me, and you gave me this life, and I'm, I'm blown away. I, I don't even know, and, and yet I don't even yet know how beautiful your story still gets in me. 
If the circumstances are heavy now and God seems distant now, I, I get it. There must have been plenty of moments that's the way it felt for Mary or the disciples or any of the others in the story. But the end of the story and God's story is always the same. Beautiful. Beautiful. Bigger than we could have imagined. Bigger. So, tomorrow, we walk into Christmas. And you know what we get to do first? Well, kind of first. If you're like our house, you hold back the opening of presents until the children are practically so insane that they're going to kill something and then you release them. It's just fun to watch. It's seven o'clock. Wait. It's eight o'clock. Wait. It's nine o'clock. Go. I mean, this is awesome, right? So tomorrow morning, you, you walk into a day that is full, that is full of what? Full of what? It's full of walking into anticipation, isn't it? There's all these presents in stockings and under trees. You gave clues. You sent lists. You wrote letters. You, 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 you walked around repeating yourself multiple times. And now you're wondering, did they get it? Did they understand? Did the letter make it there? Were you good enough, right? I mean, you're waiting. When I open the present, is it going to be what I want? And as you open it and you see it, oh, there it is, the first, and you're like, oh my goodness. You know how that feels, don't you? When you got exactly what you wished for. You didn't think you were going to, but you did. And it's awesome. That moment, why does that moment exist? Just to make us feel good? Well, so often we get through Christmas and that's exactly what happens. We get through those moments and we feel good about them. And that's all they do, they accomplish. But actually those moments have purpose and design in them. In, this, in the moment that you open the gift and it's everything you wanted it to be, it's exactly what you wanted. It is in that moment that you get to say, this, this is what Christmas was all about. That we received something we couldn't have anticipated, wished for and hoped for. I mean, didn't every one of our human's heart, human hearts long for freedom? Didn't each one of us want to be full? Didn't each one of us want to be loved? Don't each one of us need these things? Yes. But could we have ever imagined that those things would really be true? I mean, yes, they're true in fairy tales that Disney writes and other companies, but we know those aren't real. Shocker to many of you. <laughs> but this one turns out to be real. This one turns out to be real. And so as you open the presents, you know those moments where you get to a present and you open it and you were wishing for one thing, but you didn't dare ask for the other thing, and somehow they found out, and somehow you open it and it's the other thing? Oh, those are the best Christmases, aren't they? Those are the best kind. And they don't come all the time. Except for this, that every single Christmas, every single Christmas is an invitation to you and me to stop. And in the experiences of opening presents and the experiences of gathering friends and family and the experiences of partying and tinsel and, and decorations and food and wonder, that in those experiences, they all shout to us and to say, do you remember why all these are here? Do you remember? Do you remember why you even do these things? You think you just do them because they're here to do and they're fun and it's Christmas season? No, you do them because they are shouting to you and inviting you into a remembrance of the great and wondrous gift that was given you, given me, through the birth of Jesus Christ. And it is a reminder to you that that gift has been discovered beyond even Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and is yet to be discovered beyond your imagination and mine. It is the gift that never ceases to be bigger than we thought, never stops growing because it was always bigger 
It was always bigger. We just couldn't see. So every Christmas is a new opportunity to see, a new opportunity to stare into the realities of Jesus and go, God, thank you. Thank you. I know I do not yet know how big this is, but as I continue to discover, thank you for what I already know and thank you for what I have yet to discover. And then enter into the next year going, may this year get bigger in the vision I have of what Christ has done for me. This Christmas morning, go open your presents. Have fun with it. Go party wild, go crazy, eat as much food as you can with some restraint. <laughs> Gather the friends and family and enjoy yourselves. But do not miss what every one of those moments are by just experiencing them for nothing but moments. See them for what they're really there for, to invite your heart back in to seeing Jesus. You and I are gonna be tempted tomorrow, I guarantee you, to do all that stuff and then find some space where we also fit Jesus in. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's devotion time, come everybody. We can't open presents till we do devotion. Try that one on for style, that works great. Come on, sit with Jesus before we open our presents. Don't do that to your children. I've done it, it doesn't go well. Instead of trying to find a little space for Jesus, start looking for him in every space because he's already there. Every present you open is an invitation to remember the grand and wondrous gift of God. Every moment you experience with friends and family is what Jesus has reconciled for us. Every party we celebrate is a celebration of the greatness of God's love for us. And if you find him in everything, you won't need to make space for him somewhere because he'll be everywhere. And that's what tomorrow's supposed to be. That's what tomorrow's supposed to be. So may we be thrilled with what we get to do Christmas. And tonight, may we linger in our beds just quietly, just before we fall asleep. And may we ask God, you and me, God, would you make yourself bigger tomorrow in the presence in the party, in the family gatherings, would you make yourself bigger than you've ever been in the past? And may you show me where I've missed you before, where I might find you this time. And let's see what kind of a Christmas we find ourselves landing in tomorrow. Let's pray. God, thank you for the magnitude of the great gift of your birth things we have yet to realize and discover, things we have already realized and discovered that others before us had not had the privilege to do. God, in all of this, here's what we do know. It's bigger than we think. It's bigger than we thought. It's bigger than they thought. And those who will come after us will look back on our time and go, oh gosh, they had no idea how big this gets. So in all of that recognition, May we walk into Christmas like Mary and Joseph did, like the shepherds did, knowing things, knowing enough, knowing enough that it is worthy of our awe and worthy of our focus and worthy of our worship. May we not try to find a space to fit you in tomorrow, but may we look for you in every space tomorrow. 
May we unwrap each gift and just for a moment as we do, may we think of you. Just that moment where we feel the tinge of anticipation of what we're about to open, may we think of you. Right after we open it, God, and it's everything we wanted, may we think of you and the fact that you gave us more than we ever asked for, more than we ever imagined, more than we ever dreamed possible. And we have yet to even know how much more it really is. Make our day tomorrow a day full of you in every moment. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.